This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor declares war on the tech giants, Twitter, Facebook, Amazon, Google, and Apple. We're looking at protecting privacy. We're looking at protecting people from being censored and deplatformed. And we're looking at protecting people from big tech election interference. Those are really the three overriding issues. The House Speaker and the Senate President joined in the condemnation of big tech, saying they're run by a bunch of liberal oligarchs. They are targeting conservatives because they are engaging in political censorship. They act like the five wizards of Oz. Today we began to pull back the curtain. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed calls the governor's proposal disingenuous, which is the same word he used to criticize the White House. One personal note here, the commissioner is moving slow these days and has a brace on one leg. Now, I'd like to give you a better story of why I'm on crutches. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, I'm in flats and not heels today. I uh, took a, a fall over the weekend. I was trying to get on top of a loft and missed the top step and crashed seven feet down. So glad it is only my foot. Um, so very grateful to, to only have that issue. But let's get started. Her injury did not stop free from holding a news conference to announce a new partnership with the White House called Keep Florida and America Growing. You'll hear details later in the podcast during the Sunrise Soapbox segment. The health department reports more than 10,000 new cases of COVID-19 and 140 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 27,269. The Florida Chamber of Commerce releases its wish list for the upcoming session, including immunity from COVID lawsuits and a sales tax for online purchases. If we do the right things and we stay focused on growing the economy, Florida can add 280,000 jobs this year. And we estimate, again, if the legislature makes the right decisions and Florida stays united, we can get back to pre-pandemic levels by mid-2022. The chamber says Florida should also invest more money for infrastructure, workforce development, and tourism promotion. We'll also check out your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man who told officers that's not heroin, it's just a chocolate laxative. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, February 3rd. It was on this date in 1913 that the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was ratified, creating the federal income tax. This is National Carrot Cake Day, National Golden Retriever Day, and National Signing Day. In the aftermath of the 2020 election, Governor Ron DeSantis says it's time to rein in the tech giants who run social media platforms. He believes they have too much control over the marketplace of ideas and have been shutting down conservative voices like Donald Trump. Core issue here is this. Are consumers going to have the choice to consume the information they choose or are oligarchs in Silicon Valley going to make those choices for us? No group of people should exercise such power, especially not tech billionaires in Northern California. The big tech oligarchy has in many ways become a clearer and more present danger to the restriction of the right to free speech than the government itself. Floridians should have the privacy of their data and personal information protected. Their ability to access and participate in online platforms protected. And their ability to participate in elections free from interference from big tech protected. What began as a group of upstart technology companies from the West Coast has since transformed into an industry of monopoly communications platforms that monitor, influence, and control the flow of information in our country and among our citizens, and they do that to an extent hitherto unimaginable. At the turn of the 21st century, online technology represented tools to liberate Americans 
from reliance on distrusted legacy media outlets. As social media proliferated over the past decade, citizens could directly connect with large numbers of people and could cut out corporate media outlets entirely. Over the years, however, these platforms have changed from neutral platforms that provided Americans with the freedom to speak to enforcers of preferred narratives. Consequently, these platforms have played an increasingly decisive role in elections and have negatively impacted Americans who dissent from orthodoxies favored by the big tech cartel. And as these companies have grown and their influence expanded, big tech has come to look more like Big Brother with each passing day. DeSantis is not the only Republican in Tallahassee who believes tech companies took sides during the campaign. House Speaker Chris Sprouls has been griping about social media for years, but now he wants to do something more than simply complain. Use of mystery algorithms, shadow banning, and other deceptive techniques distort the public square like a funhouse mirror, exaggerating our fears and feeding our rage. They act like the five wizards of Oz. Today we begin to pull back the curtain. If our democracy is going to survive, we must stand up to these technological oligarchs. With our proposal, we're going to bring into the sunshine what I call the five families of darkness. Facebook, Twitter, Google, Amazon, and Apple. They are the big tech giants that are leaving users in the dark. With our proposal, we are pushing the barriers to finally call out their convoluted and inconsistent standards for censoring, banning, and deplatforming. We're saying no more to secret algorithms that provide no way for consumers to opt out. We won't let them continue to pick winners and losers among established news outlets and qualified political candidates. And their antitrust ways of controlling the price in the marketplace for advertising on their platforms are coming to an end. The Senate president says there's an obvious bias on social media. And while he supports some sort of crackdown in Florida, Wilton Simpson concedes it will probably take an act of Congress. You know, the big tech companies has a duty to allow differing views on their public platforms. No one should be excluded, but let's be clear, they are targeting conservatives because they are engaging in political censorship. Congress has the true power to make changes to this terrible policy that big tech has to discriminate, and it's wrong. There are, there's not much we can do as a state. Obviously, the governor and the speaker, um, and along working with the Senate, has outlined some very good plans to work on these things. But we need Congress to act on a nationwide basis to put this into um, place for our entire country. This rebellion against the tech companies comes after Donald Trump was banned from Twitter and Facebook when his supporters stormed the Capitol and five people were killed. Governor DeSantis says that ban is one reason for the legislation. But, you know, he has yet to acknowledge Trump's role in encouraging the riot. And when DeSantis was asked if he agreed with Trump's claim that the election was stolen from him, the governor ended the press conference and walked out without answering. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried is the only Democrat holding statewide office in Florida now, and she says this appears to be a knee-jerk reaction from Republicans who are still upset that their guy lost, and they're looking for someone other than Trump to blame. Where they are today is disingenuous. Um, if we wanted to have the conversation about the power of the, of the of the big tech companies, which is where you saw already in Congress that they already had a lot of those field of those hearings and had them testify that there is issues with the big tech companies and they have gotten too big and we need to start looking at some of the laws um, in, in totality of them. But I do believe that where um, the governor and the Republican leadership is today is more so as a knee-jerk reaction uh, and for policy ticking and not over policy. And we need to be looking at the policy of big tech companies and big companies and monopolies in general. Uh, and, and that's not what's happening today. This is politics. And we need to unfortunately be looking at the policy. That's really what should be driving this. 
It would be nice if we could delve into specifics and explain exactly how the governor and his allies plan to crack down on the tech companies and their billionaire owners, but they haven't filed a bill yet. And you know the old saying, the devil is in the details. The latest casualty report from the Florida Department of Health includes 140 additional fatalities and more than 10,500 newly confirmed cases of coronavirus. There have now been more than 1,737,000 cases of the virus. That's about one out of every 12 Floridians. The death toll has reached 27,269. That's about one out of every 800 Floridians. A couple of lawmakers from Broward County have filed bills that would put Florida school accountability law on hold because of the COVID crisis. They do not want to stop the testing. But Representative Robin Bartleman of Weston says the scores should not be used to punish kids or schools this year. This is no different as to what happened at the end of last year because of the pandemic. And as I speak to school board members across the state, the Florida School Board Association, the Florida Superintendents Association, this is something that everyone uh, can buy into. It's about helping kids. We're not saying don't assess them. We're just saying use the accountability system differently. Use it to plan future instruction. Use it to identify deficiencies and regression. And so we can get baseline data and then move forward. Anyone who's an educator knows that that's what you should be using this test for at this period in time. Daniel Gould is the chief academic officer from Broward County Schools, and he says the test they take now won't be valid anyway because of the disruption during the pandemic. The accountability system in Florida had intense negotiations, both on the policy side and on the statistical science side. That is not the case this year. The psychometric validity of the assessments is already compromised because of the pandemic conditions that schools have been in since March of 2020. This entire school year, from the panhandle to the keys, there have been a variety of school opening dates, of school teaching modalities, and our students and teachers have not been in the conditions which the test and the accountability system presume. That negates what can be derived as judgment about the value added from teachers about the grading of schools. If we are unable to get legitimate, statistically valid results from the judgments, why would we use the accountability system? When it's never been used in these conditions, what we can use the FSA, EOC, and access scores for is exactly what Emergency Order 07 on spring reopening emphasized. The commissioner and governor fully said what we need to focus on is intervention and support for students. That should be the use of the assessments. Other states, Texas, Ohio, Colorado, have already done what these bills are proposing. This bill provides the space and resources to support our children and not chase an invalid, psychometrically unsound accountability score. Senator Perry Thurston of Fort Lauderdale has filed the companion bill in the Senate, but Bartleman says the governor and the education commissioner can do this on their own if they so choose, and she's hoping they'll see the light. Look, Senator Thurston and I filed a bill because we believe in this and we believe that this is the best thing for children, teachers, and schools and communities. But it is within the purview of the Commissioner of Education and the governor to do this on their own. So we are hoping that this starts the conversation. We're hoping that they're going to acknowledge that this is the right thing to do by families and that we're the starting point. Uh, of the conversation at the state level and that this gets done. If not, we will proceed through the legislative process uh, to do it ourselves. But 
this is just right by children and families. There's no question, I think, in anyone's mind that we need to not use the tests in this format. So, yes, I am hopeful. The COVID crisis may have thrown a monkey wrench into the state economy, but the Florida Chamber of Commerce has a plan to try to fix that during the upcoming session. Chaz Bales with ABC Fine Wine and Spirits says priority number one is to protect businesses from COVID liability lawsuits by their employees and their customers. Most all local businesses and the Floridians that we employ are working hard to follow the most recent guidance from public health officials and keep our employees and customers safe. Many of these lawsuits will be frivolous and not intended to ever go to trial while putting local businesses in a position of absorbing costs that they cannot afford. The answer to this challenge is simple. The Florida legislature has an opportunity to pass timely, targeted, and temporary COVID-19 liability protections for Florida's job creators. These protections should not be blanket immunity, but instead a safe harbor for the vast majority of us in Florida who have focused on keeping our employees and customers safe. These protections must be comprehensive to ensure that the relaunch of Florida's economy is not stalled by the looming threat of frivolous litigation. Priority number two is collecting the sales tax on internet purchases. Debbie Harvey with Ron John Surf Shop says it's a matter of fundamental fairness for the businesses in Florida that are already collecting the sales tax. With so many consumers converting to more online purchases during the pandemic, it's even more important now than ever to collect sales tax revenue from our, for our state coffers. Let me point out, that Florida is one of only two states that do not require out-of-state vendors to collect online sales tax at the time of purchase. It is extremely important to Florida businesses to level the playing field. Those of us with physical presence in Florida and who employ Floridians have to collect this tax, which makes our merchandise more expensive comparatively to out-of-state vendors. This issue has been championed by the chamber and the business community for many, many years. It's time to make this happen. And this is long overdue. These are the short-term goals. In the long term, Chamber President Mark Wilson says they're recommending increased spending on infrastructure, workforce development, and tourism marketing. If you think about it, the world right now, as we've been wading through this pandemic, the world uh, is building a pent-up demand to be able to come back to this great state that we all call home. And we're talking about domestic and international visitors to Florida. And so as the rest of the world thinking about when can they travel again, when will they be allowed to, uh, the Florida Chamber knows that for every $1 of taxpayer investment that's invested in Visit Florida, taxpayers get a $3.15 return on that $1 of investment. And for these reasons, you're going to continue to see the Florida Chamber push for major investments in tourism promotion. Wilson says if lawmakers adopt their plan to restart the economy, Florida could get back to some semblance of normality by the middle of next year. Next up on the Sunrise Soapbox, Nikki Fried talks about her new deal with the White House. When Donald Trump left office, the Republicans who run state government lost their pipeline to the White House. But as the only Democrat holding statewide office now, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed is suddenly the one with connections. And she's just signed a new deal between FDACs, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, and the Biden-Harris administration. I'm excited to announce the release of Keeping America and Florida Growing. 
Our federal partnership plan between FDACs and the state of Florida and the Biden administration and federal agencies. In the 30-page plan, we highlight nearly 40 initiatives and priorities on which we can partner with this new administration. This includes policies that will promote Florida's farmers and American-grown crops, tackling our growing climate crisis, improve water quality and conservation, modernize cannabis policy, advance renewable energy and energy efficiency, help children and families access nutrition and fight hunger, strengthen our rural communities, protect consumers from fraud and scams, expand voting rights, and increase diversity, equity, and inclusion across government and society. Some of these improve and expand existing federal programs. Some establish new initiatives and projects. And in some cases, we propose lifting up our department's programs as national models for federal programs. A few specific examples include expanding crop insurance and fighting unfair trade, banning oil drilling off Florida coasts, legalizing marijuana, increasing grants of energy efficiency and carbon sequestration, providing universal school meals to all children at no charge, investing in rural broadband, and enacting a national automatic voter registration policy. At the heart of all of this, we have Floridians who can't pay their bills, farmers who can't sell their crops, families who can't find enough food, and too many people without a seat at the table or a voice at the ballot box. Many of these ideas are ambitious, but if there was ever a time that required bold action, this is it. Freed spoke at a press conference outside her office in the state capitol. Your calendar today, the Citrus Commission meets at 9 to consider a budget revision based on the latest crop forecast from the USDA. At 9, the Senate Children, Families and Elder Affairs Committee takes up a bill requiring six-year-olds to be in car seats or booster seats. Current law only applies to kids under the age of six. The Senate Criminal Justice Committee meets at 9 to take up a bill creating programs to determine whether inmates who are aging or suffering from terminal or debilitating medical conditions should be released from prison early. Also at 9, the Senate Education Committee takes up a bill that would massively expand eligibility for school vouchers. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30. The House Appropriations Committee meets at 10 to talk about the governor's new budget and to get an update about federal assistance for the COVID-19 pandemic. Two subcommittees in the Senate meet at 12.30 to review the governor's budget. The House Health and Human Services Committee will hold a workshop at 1.15 to discuss maternal mortality. Also at 1.15, the House Pandemics Committee takes up that bill shielding businesses from lawsuits related to the COVID-19 pandemic. At 3.30, three more Senate subcommittees will be briefed on the governor's new budget. At 4, the House Civil Justice and Property Rights Subcommittee considers a bill that would move away from a requirement that local governments have to publish their legal notices in newspapers. And at 6 in the evening, the Co-Cathedral of St. Thomas More in Tallahassee holds its annual Red Mass of the Holy Spirit to pray for divine inspiration and guidance for those serving in government and the legal profession. The Mass will be live-streamed on the Co-Cathedral's YouTube channel. A Florida man busted with drugs in his car tried to talk his way out of it by telling Okaloosa County deputies those pills were fake and the heroin they found on the dash and the floorboards was actually a chocolate laxative. It did not work. 29-year-old Stephen Copeland of Crestview was stopped for an expired tag. When officers searched the car, they found heroin, oxycodone, paraphernalia, and a bag with meth residue. 
Finally today, a North Carolina man became an honorary Florida man over the weekend when he crashed his car in Punta Gorda. Charlotte County deputies found 28-year-old John Coggy walking near the crash site with a scuba hood and face mask that matched the scuba suit they found in the wrecked car. He was charged with DUI after his blood alcohol level tested out at more than twice the legal limit. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Thank you.